Uh, it's a um, real joy, actually, to, um, over this next uh, six months or so, uh, be part of the McKenzie team and lead the uh, pastoral team, the discipleship team, the generations team, as we think about what it looks like to be a McKenzie campus and uh, excited about how God is going to lead us uh, in that. Is my mic okay here? We're all good? Okay, fantastic. Um, and we would really value prayer. Uh, Megan and I and our kids, we love prayer as we um, pray for the future. Uh, that, as uh, Jason said, the call, the deep call for us to uh, plant a church and plant a church in the urban context of Brisbane. We'd really appreciate your prayer. Lots of miracles needed uh, on a whole range of levels if God is going to uh, continue to lead us in that space. We're really excited about all he is doing and all that he is saying to us. Well, I think it's only appropriate after that announcement for me to uh, preach on the church and on church community. We are currently in the midst of a series, our vision series called Expect More. And this morning I'm speaking on Expect More Grace for More Growth. Almost forgot that then. More Grace for More Growth. And I want to talk about the Christian community in that because it's in the context of Christian community that we grow. Community is the place that we grow because it's in that place that we experience grace. It's in the Christian community that we experience grace and grace grows us in a whole range of different ways. And we're going to read a passage. We've been taking some passages from the, the Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to learn today about what God says, a radical revelation to Peter in Acts chapter 10 of God's vision for the church and God's vision for his kingdom. So can I ask you to turn to your Bibles if you have them with you? The words also come up on the screen. Acts chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 9, is where I'll be reading from. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I wish my kids would do that when they got hungry. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth from its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter kill and eat. This is, this is a vegetarian's worst nightmare right here. You see a huge picnic blanket being low, lowered down full of bacon from the sky. This is pigs in blanket right there. And Peter responds, he goes, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times because Peter is an idiot. No, 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 that's not. No, no. And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? 
The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. All right, let's skip ahead to verse 34. Peter has now done the journey. He is in the presence of Cornelius, a Roman centurion and a Gentile. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still preaching these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is a really, really important piece of scripture. This is a really important part of the New Testament. It's so important that when Luke writes it, he repeats it again in Acts chapter 11, just so that the readers get the hint that this is really important. He writes in journals that Peter goes back to Jerusalem and shares this story, saying that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not just for Israel, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. This is an important piece of the Bible. You know, Peter was struggling with difference. He was struggling with the fact that actually the good news could be extended to anyone else but the people of Israel. Peter was a good Jewish boy growing up. He would have been taught from a very young age that the, the people of Israel were God's chosen people, God's holy people, the one that he had set apart the anointed ones. This was part of Peter's thinking. As he grew up, he only had a vision for Israel. The Gentiles, those outside of Israel, they were unclean, impure, outside, not worthy of God's favour. And so he had this mentality and that carried through the whole time that he went with Jesus and walked with Jesus. And it's really easy to, to kind of be judgmental and think, you know, Peter, you are a bigot. But the reality is we all struggle with difference. Difference is difficult for all of us. 
we all in some way struggle with difference, particularly other people. Because we are all sinners, we're all selfish, and we all judge. Well, I know I do. You know, anyone who comes to me who's a little bit different, I'm already making judgment of. We all do it. And it works its way out in different ways because the truth is, is that we are surrounded by different people. And we find it difficult when we're confronted with people of different interests or experience, different tastes, rituals or customs, backgrounds, cultures or accents. You know, it's difficult when we're confronted with this. This is particularly highlighted when we enter into a new social group. You know, I'm a pastor and walking into a different church, I find difficult. It's like, well, this is all different. It's hard, and I, I begin to make observations and look at the differences. You know, for anybody who's married here or been married, you know the reality of being married to someone who is different and all the family and the friends that come with it. It's difficult, isn't it? I'm not going to ask anyone to say amen or put their hand up right now. <laughs> There's a few who are very willing to, going, yeah, it's really hard. The truth is, is that, that, that when we come up, with different, come up against different people, it's difficult. When we travel overseas, you know, there's this word called culture shock. When we're actually confronted with major difference, it's hard. Now, I remember as a 24-year-old with great hope in my heart, getting on a plane and moving to the UK. And, you know, the UK is not really that different to Australia. You know, if you're going to look at different cultures, the UK is probably the closest. But even still, when I arrived in the UK and started to embed myself in the community there, I very quickly noticed the differences. There are some big differences between Australia and the UK. They eat some strange things in the UK. I know you wouldn't think it because most of their food's pretty dull. But they have some strange things. I remember arriving and very quickly being invited a few days later to a men's breakfast. And it was your typical men's breakfast, like a, a good fry up, a little bit like the picnic that came down from heaven. There was bacon, there were sausages, there were eggs. It was, it was awesome. Apart from this one black circle thing on the corner of the plate that I started to eat, it was disgusting. It's called black pudding. Has anybody ever had black pudding? It's horrid. It's this fried up piece it, this is what it is. It's pig's blood mixed with oats. That's it. I mean, who in the world would think that that's a good idea? Who was thinking, you know what, I've got to figure out something to eat. I know, pig's blood and oats. That's a great idea. Clearly someone with far too much time and not enough ingredients. That's, that's what that is. And then, and then I went for lunch, and they served up this round ball, the kind of like breaded ball, and I cut into it, and there was a cold egg. They call it Scotch egg. Anyone had a Scotch egg before? What the weirdest thing ever. It's strange. I turn on the TV at night to watch the news, just to catch up. There's only really one news channel worth, worth watching in the UK. It's the BBC News. The BBC News is very serious and very dull because they actually report the news, <laughs> as opposed to Australia. Took me a little while just to get, get used to, get used to the, the news. You know, they've got some strange words that are different to ours, or the same words with different meanings. Unfortunately, particularly when it comes to undergarments and underwear. I remember going out and buying some new trousers and asking my friend, hey, do I look good in these pants? 
he was horrified because pants in the UK mean jocks. He's asked, I was asking him how I looked in my jocks. Now we all know that thongs are what you wear to the beach, right? Yeah, I know, I know. But thongs mean something different in the UK. I remember getting ready for a, a very proper wedding in London. And I was sitting with my Aussie mate who just moved over and a very proper Englishman. And we're getting ready for this very proper wedding and I'm putting our shoes on or something and we're, we're, we're kind of talking about the differences between Australia and England and how England's very proper, top hat, tails, tie, the whole thing. And my mate from Australia said, yeah, you know, in Australia things are way more casual. You know, I went to a wedding once where everyone had to wear thongs. <laughs> Tell you, my English friend, he, 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 this is what he did. He just went, oh, that's just disgusting. <laughs> he, I, I have no idea what was going through his mind at that point, and I don't want to know. The other thing I found in the community that I got myself involved with in the UK is they were just really friendly people. They were just huggers. Every person I met, they just gave me a hug, lots of hugs. And that wasn't me being an Aussie, it wasn't my thing, but I've, I've embraced it. I embraced the hugging thing. And then I realized when I moved back to Gateway, I went into reverse culture shock. Uh, apparently you don't hug staff or anyone here at Gateway, particularly your boss, or else you lose your job. That's, that's basically the deal. You know, we, uh, we struggle with difference. I've got to tell you that being in the UK, and spending time investing in that community, because I knew I flew over there, I, I was part of that community, whether I liked it or not, the differences or not, I had to choose to embed myself there and work it through. I've got to tell you that my time there as a, as a growing person, as a growing Christian, was incredibly formative. You know, not, not just in terms of uh, relationships and not just in terms of who I was, but in my faith. I met people who kind of did things a little bit differently, read the Bible in a slightly different way to me. I found that difficult, but I worked it through. And let me tell you, I grew through it. I matured through it. I went deeper through it. Why? Because we are created. We are created to be in community. You know, we go right back to the book of Genesis and we see in the narrative there that Adam is creative and then, Adam and, and then Eve is created because humanity is ultimately made for community. It's made for relationship. But sadly, sin enters the world. You know the story. Adam and Eve say no to God. They say, we reject you as our God. We want to be our own God. Pride comes into the world. Selfishness comes into the world. And from that point on, isolation enters. Isolation comes into the world. Isolation between humanity and God and humanity amongst themselves. We see Adam and Eve hide in the garden, hide away from God. Then they start blaming one another. Then in chapter four, we see Cain kill Abel and the cycle goes on. Throughout the rest of humanity, we have been plagued with this disposition, a heart that's full of pride and selfishness, which forces our lives away from others. We have this disposition to reject the other to push the other away because we are proud and because we are selfish. And our culture is plagued with loneliness and isolation. You know, I, I think 
uh, never more than in the current context we're in, in Western civilization, civilization, with all the connections that we have digitally. You know, we might be connected digitally, but loneliness is on the increase. Social scientists say this, psychologists are saying this. People are becoming more and more isolated and the ramifications are real and deep. Ramifications on health. Some research says that loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's the same health reality. You know, it has great impact on our mental health. Great impact on who we are as people. It's all the fruit of sin and selfishness. We live in an isolated world. And the truth is, is that being confronted with people of difference is difficult. And Peter here is grappling with this. You know, he is, he, it just, Peter just takes so long to figure things out. He has walked with Jesus for three years. And here he is in the early church and he still thinks that the good news is just for Israel. And he is rejecting the Gentiles saying, you know what? Jesus, the good news is just for us, our nation. And it takes a crazy, wacky dream to jolt Peter out of his paradigm for God to reveal that no, the kingdom of God is so much more. It is far greater. And so we see the apology that Peter writes at the beginning of, of verse 34, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. It should have made sense to Peter. I mean, he'd walked with Jesus for three years and acknowledged that he was the son of God. And there's this amazing model of Jesus, Jesus himself, God coming down from heaven and walking amongst us. You cannot get any more different. I am continually amazed at the God who created us coming down and walking in humility amongst us. It blows my mind all the time. Us broken, sinful, selfish people that the God of heaven would choose to come down and walk amongst us in humility. But he did. And Jesus walked the earth in vulnerability. He shared his life with average people. Just hung out with the 12 disciples and other people just walked the earth, had meals with them, shared his life with them. Let them see his vulnerabilities. Let him see their pain. But it wasn't just the normal people. Jesus spent time with the lowest of the low in that culture and in that time. The children, the women, the lepers, the tax collectors, the poor, the sick, the broken, the demon-possessed, the Gentiles. Amazing. And Peter saw all of this. Jesus embracing the other. Jesus embracing the different. And then we see Jesus at the end of his life climb up and is murdered on a cross, killed for our sin, killed for our pride, killed for our selfishness. Jesus is murdered naked on a tree, incredibly vulnerable and incredibly isolated. Jesus becomes isolated so that we can be invited into relationship. 
We see as Jesus hangs on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you isolated me? You know, we think that being murdered on a cross is a, is a terrible thing, and it is, and deeply painful. But I'm telling you that the pain that Jesus went through as his, as his heart and his soul was separated with, from the Father was much greater. But Jesus was isolated from the Father so that we could be reunited with the Father. So that we could be invited into relationship for Him. That is the wonderful good news of Jesus. And Peter finally gets it. And he begins and he speaks as we read just this unbelievable treatise. If you're wanting to know what the gospel is or explain the gospel, read that. What Peter says, I now understand what the gospel is and who it is for. Let me tell you that salvation is offered to everyone. Salvation is offered to all. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what, what your story is or what your culture is or what family you are from, what you've done. Jesus has died for you and offers every one of us, every one of us here, the whole world, everybody, salvation. Salvation is offered to everyone. You know, this week we've celebrated the life of Billy Graham. Maybe you saw this on the news just recently. Billy Graham was a, a passionate, gifted evangelist who God used mightily to proclaim the good news to millions. 3.3 million Australians heard the good news of Jesus Christ through Billy Graham in 1959. Profound. What drove him was this fundamental understanding that Jesus offers salvation for all. I was reading on the very serious news website that is the BBC just this week. They made some observations about what Billy Graham believed. Now, this is a secular website, and they pointed out some things in very glowing terms. Three of them really struck out to me. Firstly, they said that Billy Graham was an early crusader for civil rights. On one occasion, Billy Graham paid the bail for Martin Luther King. He was an ardent campaigner uh, for the civil rights movement. They noted that Billy Graham believed that it was important to reach out to strangers. Now, Billy Graham flew twice to North Korea in the 90s to build relationships and to see what he could do in that nation. And thirdly, the BBC pointed out that Billy Graham believed that everyone could be saved. No matter your story, there, there are stories of Billy Graham befriending notorious gangsters with the hope that they would come to faith in Jesus. He believed that anybody and everybody could be saved. That's what drove Billy Graham to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to let you know today, no matter what your story, no matter what you're going through right now, Jesus loves you. He died for you and he wants to save you. Great news. Salvation is offered to all. Salvation is offered without merit. You cannot earn your way into salvation. You cannot earn your way to Jesus. There is nothing you can do to make you righteous. There is nothing you can do to make you good enough. Rather, salvation is offered through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Faith. 
faith alone. Place our faith in Jesus. That's all it is. Place our life and our trust in Him. Say, you know what, Jesus? You are true. You are real. You did die for me. You did rise again. And if I surrender my life, I know that I will be saved. I will be carried by you. Placing our life and our faith in Him. The Apostle Paul, trying to unpick some of the understandings of the nation of Israel, writes this in Romans chapter 4. He says this, this, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. We can't do it. We cannot work our way to heaven. That's grace. And we sing the song, Amazing Grace, because that that is what it is. It is wonderful. Amazing grace is wonderful, but it demands something of us. It demands humility. It demands us saying, I can't do it. I cannot save myself. I am not good enough. I can't earn enough. I can't do anything. Not enough good deeds in this world will make my way to salvation. See, grace says I'm, I, I am in need of a savior. I can't do it. It's deeply humbling. But i tell you what it does. Humility stands in the face of Adam and Eve who said, I want to be my own God. I can do it. Humility, receiving grace says, Jesus, I need you and I thank you that you receive me. I thank you that I can be in relationship with you. That is the wonderful news of the gospel. As we receive grace, we we are invited into a wonderful relationship with God. It's humility that makes a way for us to be in relationship with the Creator. But then, secondly, humility allows us then to be in right relationship, healthy relationship with one another. This is how the church exists. It exists in grace. It exists because we don't come to the other with pride. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves. In fact, we come with humility, saying it's okay that you're different. It's all right that you're different. I have things to learn. You have things to learn. I can give you grace. I can receive grace. That is the profound wonder of the church, the body of Christ. Look around, we are all different people. We're from different cultures, different backgrounds, different families, different circumstances, different incomes. We have a whole range of different interests and skills in this room. Yet we can come together in this place. We can love one another. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We can cheer one another on. We can serve one another. We can celebrate one another. That's the wonder of the church. Can I hear an amen? Hey, why don't you turn to the person next to you right now and say, you're different and I love it. Come on.
I'm so glad that you're all very honest. Hey, here's the profound thing. The profound thing is that as a church, we are carried in grace. What kind of, what other group kind of just meets like this with all the variety, different backgrounds? It's a profound wonder of grace. And Jesus chooses, this is the other thing, Jesus chooses to use us, his church, for his glory. Wow. Guys, we are his plan. The church is God's plan. And we see as Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles, the Spirit of God falls on them and they are inaugurated into the church. They're brought into the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say two things about grace because grace grows us. When we find ourselves in community, grace grows us. Firstly, grace causes us to grow deeper. It causes us to grow deeper. Why? Because we're known. All of a sudden, we become known. We are sharing life with one another. As we invite people into our lives, they reveal things about us, some which we don't want to see and other things that reveal something good about us. That's what it means to be in community. We grow deeper together. As we share our life together, as we're vulnerable with one another, we're able to forgive one another and offer one another grace. James says, Forgive your sins to one another so that you might be healed. It's in the context of community that we can ask for forgiveness and that we can give forgiveness. It's where we can ask for grace and we can offer grace and it takes us deeper. As we gather together in groups and we share life together incarnationally, face to face, doing life together, we get to share the gospel together. Yes, we open up the Bible, the Word, and the Bible illuminates itself. And other, you know, as we read together, God kind of works by His Spirit to open up our eyes like He did with Peter. He does that when we meet together in community and we do the journey together. It's not just reading the gospel, it's living the gospel every day. That's the call of the Christian faith, the Christian church. Not only does it cause us to grow deeper, but it also causes us to go wider. I think we have something wonderful to share and shine to a world who is be- that is becoming increasingly isolated. Now we're in a world that just is longing for community, a world that is longing for love, a world that is longing to be accepted. Now, I caught up with a, a friend this week who's just recently joined the life group that I'm part of. And we're just a bunch of blokes who meet before work on a Thursday morning when we can. And this guy's just joined recently, brought along by a friend. He's not a Christian. He doesn't really have much of a church background or anything like that, but was attracted by our group. I caught up with him and said, why do why you come to our life group? And he said, well, I've, I've been watching this other guy who's part of your group and I'm seeing how important it is to him. I'm seeing how he's growing. And I kind of want that. I kind of need, I've realised that I need that kind of community. And I said, well, why, why, I mean, you're not why Christian? I mean, we talk about the Bible and that kind of stuff. Why, why, why Christian community? He said, I tell you what I see. I see a bunch of guys who are authentic, who care for one another, and are not a bunch of, you fill in the blanks. 
The reality is, is that we have an opportunity to shine Jesus' love, to shine His grace. And oh, how we need to. We live in a context and a culture that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus. We live in a context that desperately needs to be invited into a relationship with the living God. We can sit here on a Sunday and have a wonderful time worshipping Jesus and then heading home again. But the truth of the reality is in this nation, 95% of people don't know Jesus. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. We need to go and shine our light. We need to grow as a family and as a church. I wanna ask you this morning, as I come into land, are you part of a community? Yes, you're part of maybe sitting in the pews of this church, but are you in community? Are you walking alongside the other? Can people look at you and, and notice when you've gone missing or when things are going wrong in your life? Yeah, it is, it's humbling. It's challenging to be part of a community where you need to be vulnerable, where you are known, is hard. It takes commitment. It takes effort. It takes courage. But if we are to grow, if we are to develop, if we are to go deeper and if we are to grow wider, then this is what Jesus invites us into to reflect all that He has for us, the body of Christ. You know, you heard before about our desire to get every person into a life group. That is the context and place here at Gateway where you get to do life with people, to share your journey with people, for people to look at you and go, how are you doing? How are you growing? And we've got a group league event. We're, we're launching it today after this service. I encourage you to get along, have some courage, Find yourself in that place. Trust God and meet some people and do the journey. So we get some great food out there. It's going to be really well. It's, it is really well organised. It's a great place to go and just meet people. If you're a parent, go grab your kid and one go in there. You can figure that out and make sure you find yourself back in the, in the, uh, in the function room. This is the way as a church that we encourage, we invite you to do the journey. You know, for Megan and I, we see this as really important. When we moved back from the UK, we realised that we were coming to a big church and we needed to be in community. We needed to find the people that, that we could do life with. That had been our experience in the UK, UK and with a small community. We realised that we just flourished and grew in it. So very soon after we arrived back, we decided to get involved in a life group. Now, we had loads of excuses why we couldn't or shouldn't. We just moved back. We had small kids. It was a busy season of life. There was lots going on. We were still living at my parents' house. It was impractical in a whole bunch of ways. But we knew that if we were going to find joy here at Gateway, if we were going to continue to grow here at Gateway, if we were still going to find vitality and life in our journey here at Gateway, we needed to find ourselves in a life group. And we, and we have, we've just had a great time continuing to journey, continue to grow, continuing to develop. And more than that, we just have a lot of fun. It's fun. Let me tell you, life is better connected. Life is better when we do it in community. I wanna ask you this morning, are you in community? 
Are you doing the journey with people? You've got a great opportunity today. Find yourself in group link after this service and begin the journey. Trust God for the next journey and step in your life so that you can continue to grow. Before we uh, do that and before I encourage you to respond by going out to group link, I just want to do a couple other things before that. You know, I can't preach the good news of Jesus without creating an opportunity for people to respond. Now, I don't know what your story is and what your journey is, whether you've been coming to this church for years or whether this is your first time in church today. But I want to remind you and say, as I said before, the good news of Jesus, the invitation of salvation, the invitation to know Jesus, to be in relationship with Him is offered to everyone. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what your journey is. And if you are here today and you know that you are not in that relationship with God, you are isolated from God, you're isolated from others, you are alone. Today is the day that you can say, Jesus, I humbly receive your grace. I need to be in relationship with you. And I wanna create a moment right now for you to do that, for you to respond to the call of Jesus at your heart an invitation into relationship with the creator of the universe. Hey, I just, across this place right now, I just wonder whether we can shut our eyes, bow our heads just across this place to give some privacy. And just in this place, if you are sitting here and you know that you are not in relationship with Jesus, you are isolated from Him and from others. And you are dead in your sin, your selfishness and your pride. I invite you to do the most wonderful thing and respond to Jesus right now. If you want to respond to Jesus, say, yes, I want to be in relationship with Him. I want to place my faith in Jesus right now. I just encourage you to place your hand high in the sky. Just raise your hand where you are right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed. We had a couple this morning. Thank you, mate. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand over there. Thank you. I see that hand. That's awesome. Anybody else? Today is the day that you need to step into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Just stick your hand up high in the sky. Join those who have already done so. Awesome. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment. Jesus wants to invite you to relationship with Him. He died for you. Just one more moment. Any more hands? Come on. Hey, awesome. Well, just while we're still in this place, I wonder whether we keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. And why don't we, if you're willing to pray this, pray this for the whole church, pray out loud just above a whisper and join those who've stuck their hand up for the first time today and just pray this prayer of salvation this morning. Come on, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank You that You love me. I thank You that You came for me. And I thank You that You died for me. I realize that I've walked from you, that I've rebelled from you, that I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me of my sins and make me whole? Fill me with your spirit, I pray. Thank you for your love. I receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Awesome, awesome. Hey, why don't we give those people who prayed that prayer for the first time this morning a huge hand. So good.